0: Hi, and welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast from the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture. I'm Brady Brewer, and I'm faculty in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Um, And joining me today is Megan Hughes, who is a PhD student uh, in the Department for Agricultural Economics. Today's podcast focuses on the economics of cover crops. I know Megan has done some research along with uh, her advisor, Dr. Michael Langmeyer, and today she's going to give us a summary of what they found and some recommendations uh, for farmers here in Indiana and across the Midwest. Uh, all the information that we're going to cover today um, on, on today's podcast, you can find at the Center for Commercial Agricultural's website at ag.purdue.edu slash commercial ag. So with that, Megan, welcome to the podcast. You want to introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Yeah, thanks very much. Um, like Dr. Brewer said, my name is Megan Hughes. I came from an ag background, grew up on a farm in Illinois, and I'm pursuing my education here at Purdue to help better serve the ag community.
0: So Megan, you uh, did your master's thesis research on the economics of cover crops, And for those that are wanting to go to the CCA's website to find this, uh, the title of the summary report. So Megan has a journal article from her master's thesis research, and then she's also written uh, or wrote a extension publication called the cover crops and farm profitability in central Indiana. So if you're looking for the the document that accompanies the, this podcast, that's what you need to search on the CCA website. So you did this. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, kind of the, the research that you did that led to this?
1: Of course. So what came kind of fell into my lap was a variable nitrogen rate study that a farmer from central Indiana did. So what they did was they took three cover crop species an annual rye, a cereal rye, and then an oats and radish blend as well as a control with no cover crop. And then they did a variable nitrogen rate trial across those four treatment groups. So comparing those results, we were able to find a relationship between applied nitrogen and yield levels and compare the relationship between applied nitrogen and yield between the different cover crop treatments. So based on that, we were able to develop a partial budget that let us look at the financial impacts of implementing these cover crop
0: treatments. So before we get into the results um, on which one is most profitable and, and your recommendation for farmers, Uh, let's have a quick discussion around cover crops because I know this is something that uh, a lot of farmers are trying and in some cases not trying. Uh, So what are, in your mind, what are some of the best benefits for why a farmer would want to implement cover crops on their farm?
1: So when we think about cover crops, one of the biggest benefits that tend to come to mind are those of soil health. So there's kind of a long list here, but Um, Some of the biggest we think about are improving that soil water relationship, um, allowing for more water infiltration, reducing um, evaporation. They can reduce compaction by creating more root channels that the following cash crop can then utilize. Um, Increase that organic matter by creating biomass that then remains in the soil. They improve the microbial diversity of the soil they help protect against erosion. So loss of soil from wind or water erosion, by putting that cover crop on there, you now have a crop protecting that soil from that loss. Um, One of the biggest ones that we incorporated into our study is the ability of those cover crops to fix nitrogen or reduce nitrogen leaching. So that's a big hitter in terms of helping mitigate cost.
0: Yeah, and that obviously leads to, as you say, mitigate cost. So that leads to a reduction of, of other inputs that are essential into the corn or soybean process.
1: Of course. Um, that's another one we talk about is reducing the need for fertilizer inputs. So we also incorporated phosphate and potassium into our study. Um, cover crops are also helpful for weed control. And then there's a potential for an increase in crop yield. And then they can also help mitigate risk by reducing yield variability.
0: So I, I want to point out the, the word potential there since it, it seemed like you kind of emphasize that. So, you know, one of the big, uh, issues around this, and we're going to get to why we haven't seen a larger adoption of cover crops here, here in just a second. But, uh, so when you say potential, so it's not guaranteed you're going to get a yield, uh, bump, but it is definitely a possibility. Could you go a little bit more into that?
1: Yes, there is an infinite amount of agronomic literature out there looking at yield and cover crops. I read so much of this when I was working on my thesis, and the results are split right down the middle in terms of whether you could see a yield increase or a yield decrease. So that is one of those limiting factors when farmers are making the decision of whether or not to adopt cover crops is they see... A lot of studies showing that it might actually decrease their yields. And that is true, it might.
0: But what about the literature on the cost reduction side? Is that a little bit more cohesive um, and in agreement that it does reduce costs?
1: So the literature is a lot oh. less widespread when it comes to looking at these costs, which is part of the reason why we undertook this study. Um, So a survey from the Conservation Technology Information Center showed that 69% of their respondents either agree or strongly agree to the statement, if I better understood how cover crops would benefit my farm, I would be more likely to use them. So this type of information isn't available and it hasn't quite been looked at. There's only a handful of studies actually coming out with this information.
0: Yeah, um, so I haven't done a study like yours, but uh, Dr. Alan Gray and I in the Center for Food and Agricultural Business, we've been doing a study on some sustainability initiatives and we've been doing talking with some farmers around the Midwest. And that is, uh, I will say, one of the big limiting factors for adoption for a lot of farmers is when we ask them, well, why haven't you adopted some of these? Uh, you know, and we're talking about conservation practices in general, um, like the variable rate technology or strip till. um but cover crops is definitely in there. And one of the big limiting factors farmers say is, well, show me that it's going to benefit, right? Can you, can you prove without a doubt that these are going to be, you know, the list of benefits I'm going to, going to receive. And a lot of the farmers say, yeah, there's some studies out there, but it's not enough proof. Um, you know, and that's what they're really waiting for to adopt is, is the benefit to be verified. And I think that's what you're alluding to there.
1: Course, and that's cyclical, right? We can't get the data until people adopt it, but people don't want to adopt until we have the data.
0: Yeah, a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem. um, That got to have the adoption first to have the data, to the data, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, so that that's obviously one reason that farmers haven't adopted is the verifiable proof. But do you think there's any other reasons we haven't seen larger adoption? Because you know that list you you read previously was a a really long list of potential benefits. So you think that that would be enough to maybe drive some adoption. And and you know, in our study, uh, there were some farmers that say, oh yeah, I've tried every different rotation of cover crops, see what works for me, we really like them. And then others say, "Yeah, oh, we tried them and we didn't really see the benefits um, accruing. Do you think there's any other reasons out there that um, have slowed adoption of some of these practices?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first of which is they might need to invest in new equipment. So there might be some very large upfront costs that prevent them from making that decision without understanding that there are other benefits coming down the line. Um, there might take, it might take a very long time for the benefits of the cover crops to actually accrue as well. So you might see three to five years of no net returns on negative net returns. It might take up to 10 years before you start seeing positive returns things like that.
0: Yeah. So it's a long-term investment. It's, it's not short-term. It's uh, hard to budget for this year. It's, you need multi-year budgets to to possibly see some of that benefit. And, and that's, anytime you're talking about long run, there's risk in there, right? Of course. Um, uh, any business owner wants to see benefits accrue immediately because then it, it it's just a risk because you, you never know what's going to happen in three to five years.
1: Right. Um, and then the other thing is that cover crops might present a management problem at some point in time. Um, if a cover crop is not properly terminated in the springtime, it might overgrow and become a weed and create more problems for the farmer that they quite frankly don't need.
0: So it does require more time management yes. um, and, and management skills in general yes. to to reap those benefits.
1: Yes. So developing those management skills is a huge investment for our farmers.
0: Uh, so let's switch gears now and let's talk about some of the results that you found in your study. So what, uh, so what did you find in, in your partial budgeting exercise?
1: Sure so I'd like to note first of all that we used this one case farm from central Indiana and so they incorporated the cover crop And they terminated the cover crops as part of their spring burn down routine, so they didn't have any increase in herbicide costs, which is a bit of an important factor. Um, But essentially, what we found is that with the annual rye cover crop, it had negative net returns of around five to six dollars. So, we're seeing a five to six dollar decrease per acre each year of the study. Um, We did four years. Uh, 2011, 13, 15, and 17. Um, with the cereal rye, we saw low positive numbers. So an increase of 4 to $11 per acre is what we saw. And then with the oats and radish, we saw very large increases in the net returns per acre um, between 19 and $46 an acre, which is huge.
0: Yeah, there, there's not too many farmers that wouldn't want that type of extra return Uh, per acre.
1: Right. But again, it's that investment cost and the management. Um, Our proprietors of the farm have a lot of cover crop experience. They had been utilizing cover crops since at least 2000 on their farm. So that's 20 years of management expertise going into that.
0: Um, You found the the highest returns to oats and radish. Uh, Why do you think that that was, was there any agronomic factors or economic factors that played into that being the the best rotation?
1: So I have two things that I think influenced that the most. The first of which, when we did the breakdown, the oats and radish group required more nitrogen than the control group. But had a significantly higher corn yield than the control group. So this is influenced primarily by prices. So increasing that corn yield by a significant amount increased the net returns by a significant
0: amount. So part of it is is a production issue, you know, because of the prices and because you uh, that rotation saw the yield bump. That's what drove some of the that that increase in profit.
1: Yes, and that theory kind of strings through the other groups as well, because with the cereal rye, it required. Um, or it had a similar yield to the control group, but required slightly less nitrogen. So you saw the cost savings in the nitrogen, but got a lot less return than the oats and radish group did. And then
0: So d- did you also see a, a cost reduction in the oats and radish because you said it, it required more nitrogen. So was it was that increase in net profit only coming from the revenue bump? or was there also a cost savings as well?
1: It came from the revenue bump.
0: So, we're already seeing some differences in, in how these cover crops uh, can impact the bottom line, right? One was a revenue-increasing uh, in uh, bump, and then one was strictly on the cost side by just cost savings. There was no revenue increase, it was just strictly cost. So, interesting to, to see the differences in how it affects the income statement of the yes. farm.
1: And then with our annual rye, we saw that it required more nitrogen fertilizer to achieve the same yield as the control group. So essentially, we saw an increase in costs for the same yield. So that resulted in that negative net return.
0: Before we get into some of the production maximizing, profit maximizing, uh, your table one in in the document, let's uh, take a moment to talk about how generalizable these results are. So you mentioned in the beginning, this is one case farm in central Indiana. A lot of the stuff I've heard about cover crops is that it's very dependent on the area you're in uh, and also what you're trying to achieve. If, if you're trying to achieve water quality or, or fixate nitrogen, fix nitrogen in the soil, um, you know, it, it may that may affect what cover crop you end up planting. So how generalizable are all these results? Do you think a farmer in western uh, or northern Indiana could take these results and at least Use them to base their decisions off of or uh, or does a farmer in those areas probably need to do something similar to this case farm does was try three of them, see which one works best?
1: I think that if a farmer has the resources, it would be great to do a trial like this to see what works best on your farm and consult with your agronomist, consult with the resources available to you. Um, Purdue has an excellent agronomy department. Um, One of the agronomy department faculty was on my committee and helped us with this study. So those things are very important. Um, Like you said, different cover crops can serve different purposes. So cereal rye does a great job of fixing up nitrogen. So that might be one of the reasons that it did not show as high of a yield boost as the oats and radish mix, for example, because oats and radish acts very similarly to a legume in that it does a good job of putting nitrogen back into the soil.
0: And the radishes can also help aerate. Um, I'm not an agronomist, but I, I've heard that that's one of the benefits there because it is a root vegetable. So there could be some added benefits to the, the soil health, the all important soil health of, uh, for the crop and the land as well. So it, it just depends on soil type, weather patterns and, and and what your goals are for the farm uh when choosing between these exactly uh so thinking about the the production maximizing for profit maximizing uh goal and you've already touched a little bit on this but uh it was pretty uh there was pretty stark differences with what happened to some of those yields uh in in the three different trials you guys ran
1: Yes, that was very surprising to see how introducing three new crops can change the outcome for corn um, so drastically. We have a, a graph in this article that kind of shows the production curve for the corn yields.
0: Just for example, the the oats and radish, it it, it saw a 10 bushel per acre uh, bump in, in yields from from the the base, the no cover crop uh, land that you guys were looking at, so I mean, ten bushel an acre is is a pretty large increase, while also seeing a decrease in the amount of fertilizer uh, they use. And, and again, you, you talk about that. That's because the oats uh, and radishes acted like the legume, putting putting nitrogen back into the soil. You know, and I, I do think we should probably mention uh, in our, my talks that I've had with farmers across the Midwest. Uh, you know. You, you got to look at what we, we've said this throughout the podcast or throughout this episode, but you got to look at what you're trying to do. And I've heard of farmers mixing in three different types, right? So doing the cereal, rye, oats, and radish all together, because then you get the benefits of the nitrogen, uh, you know, fixing the nitrogen in the soil, plus the added nitrogen being added back in, uh, that's something that I would recommend talking to your agronomist, seeing what, you know, what your soil needs, and that's going to lead to the prescription uh, the, the prescription plans that you can choose from and, and try out on your particular farm. So is there any other insights, Megan, that you would give, you know, if you're a farmer out there looking to adopt cover crops, you know, maybe it's something that you've thought about, you've seen neighbors do it, what's, what's your recommendation to those farmers? Where do you start looking? We've mentioned the agronomists. Is there anything else, maybe budgets, um, that could help narrow down your decisions or, or help make some of these decisions?
1: Yeah, I would take a look at your budgets and see where you think your spending is. Take a look at benchmark data for farms similar to your size and for your crops and see are your nitrogen applications, are they high for a farm your size? Are they low for a farm your size? So see where you're at compared to your peer groups, which can help you set your goals, which might help you decide what cover crops would be a good choice. The other thing is talk to your neighbors who have tried them if you have any and see what their experiences have been. I think that that's the best way to kind of get an idea of what you should be doing and how to be successful.
0: Yeah and that might provide some of the best local knowledge as you know assuming that your neighbors farm close to you. uh, You know your soil types are going to be similar and the weather patterns are going to be similar and and other agronomic factors will be um, the same. So that might be the, the best place to start. And then that's when you start looking at some other resources, either university resources on the budgets or the agronomist, um, which you, whichever agronomist you use and, and trust for information to have them help you with trying out some trials on your farm to see what works best for you. Because I, I one thing you know we've we've really focused in on the agronomic factors, but something that you mentioned Megan earlier that you know I, I think is a key point management is a huge factor in this, right? Different cover crops require different management time. So yes, on paper, one might seem the best from an agronomic perspective of, okay, I need to fix nitrogen or oh, I I wanna do this to my soil for soil health. But if it's something that is outside the capabilities of the farm, maybe you don't have the equipment to do that particular cover crop, maybe that cover crop needs killed off or planted at a particular time when you're busy with something else on your farm. Uh, I don't think we can understate the management capacity and um, issues that arise on the cover crop as well.
1: That's correct. Um, One thing I did forget to mention, in our study, we did not include government payments for adopting cover crops or any type of subsidy programs for adopting cover crops. So you can help mitigate the cost of adopting these by looking into programs from environmental groups that'll help you cover those costs.
0: Yeah, so that could push uh, the annual rye, which was negative, uh, $5.91 per acre. That could push that positive. But one thing that does stay the same is that your comparison across these, even with those government payments, the oats and radish um, are still the most profit maximizing then zero ride, then the annual ride. So it doesn't change the ranking of the three options in your study, but it does. It would probably make all of them positive. Would I be correct in saying that?
1: Yes, we we looked at it, but we didn't
0: publish it. Yeah, and, and again, for the purposes of your study, uh, the, the ranking stays the same. So you know, if a farmer is looking to adopt one of these, they're going to be looking at the one that adds the most profit, and that's and that's what you guys showed that it's the oats and, and radish rotation, cover crop rotation. So with that, uh, for those that are listening, again, I just want to reiterate that this paper that Megan wrote, along with Dr. Michael Langmeier, can be found at the Center for Commercial Agricultural's website at ag.purdue.edu slash commercialag. And on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and um, our bright student, Megan Hughes, uh, I'm Brady Brewer, faculty in the Department of Agricultural Economics, and I thank you for listening to this week's episode.